Shabbat Shalom. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? Awesome. Well, it's good to be back with you guys this week. Uh, last week, obviously, Daniel, Ephraim, and I were all in Texas uh, for youth camp. Uh, that was a fantastic time. We, we, uh, we enjoyed ourselves very much, but uh, it is very nice to be back. Um, West Texas had a lot of cotton fields and a lot of dirt. Um, outside of that, there was about 70 Messianics uh, all hanging out at a youth camp. So um, we're very, very excited to be back with you guys uh, this week. Um, we got a lot of exciting stuff coming up uh, as we head towards the, the springtime. Uh, February 16th, which is in a couple of weeks, uh, we've got Yosef uh, Rami Danieli, who is a, a Messianic Jewish believer from Israel who will be here uh, to, to speak. Now, I have heard, we've gotten a lot of emails over the last couple of weeks, apparently Yosef has, uh, has a pretty big reach in the OKC area through uh, uh, other churches and whatnot that have gone on Israeli tours of the land, uh, people uh, who have attended his congregation. Uh, he used to be a congregational leader in Texas, and so on and so on. So um, I've received multiple emails over the last couple of weeks of a lot of our uh, Christian brethren who are going to be coming and attending that week. So uh, Please help us out. Let's bring a little bit more food that week for uh, for our own egg because we're going to have a lot of people who are here for the first time ever. Um, maybe not even Sabbath keepers. We definitely want to show the hospitality of Abraham to them uh, here in this place. Make them feel welcome uh, when they're here. So that's February 16th. Um, Camp Yeshua registration is still open. Um, we are pretty close to being full, if not full, on kids right now. But we definitely need some adult staff help. So uh, if you have any interest in coming and uh, helping us in Anadarko for a week, um, please see Ephraim Judah, uh, and he'll get you more information on that. Uh, we were blessed this past week. Uh, I know Daniel mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, that our vacuum had broken and some of these other things had happened. And so uh, a family inside the congregation uh, blessed us this week with a brand new vacuum. Uh, and so just want to say thank you and praise the Lord for that. Um, makes, uh, makes cleanup a little bit easier than picking up everything by, uh, by hand. So thank you for, uh, for blessing the, the community with that. Um, Men's prayer breakfast is going to be February 10th, February 10th at uh, Monty Judah's house. And then also want to encourage uh, both male and females uh, that before the service, we have a prayer time in the classroom. So uh, they're praying for the service, praying for you, praying for the leadership, praying for whatever the needs may be, whatever the Holy Spirit says that, uh, at that point in time for them to do so. We want to encourage you, uh, if you're up on a Shabbat morning, come join us for a time of prayer uh, before the service starts. Uh, also want to give you guys a heads up that Brad Scott is going to be here in March uh, from the Wild Branch Ministry. Uh, Brad's a great guy, and so he'll be here uh, speaking at HFF in March. Uh, and we'll get you guys more information on that in the bulletin over the next couple of weeks. Um, Shavuot is going to be in Dallas uh, this year. That is in June. It falls a little bit later this year. Last year it was in May. Uh, it's going to fall in June. So uh, ShavuotEvent.com. Uh, our guest worship leader this week, Rod Woodruff, will also be with us at Shavuot. 
Wode as well as Monty and a lot of other teachers. So I want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and get registered for that, be a part of that. As always, with any of the feast gatherings, since HFF doesn't actually host them here, if finances are ever an issue for you and you cannot attend, please come see the leadership. Let us help you uh, be able to come and take part in the feast. Also, if you happen to be hosting a gathering and you're willing to take other people uh, for that, especially Passover, stuff like that, please let us know. We, uh, we want to encourage everybody to keep the feast, and we want to have a place for them to be able to do so. So if you're hosting a Passover or another event, something like that, uh, we can definitely uh, take anybody else who's looking for trying to find a place to do that together and get them tied in uh, with one another. So let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's greet one another. Try to find somebody that you don't know and say Shabbat Shalom. And we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with some praise and worship. Uh, hello, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. So glad you could be here. Uh, let us uh, open with prayer. Father, thank you for this Shabbat. Time together we can worship and gather uh, with friends and family. Just be here this day. Let your spirit dwell in this place this day. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you guys have not seen this, uh, Lion Land has a deal that Chris Frankie's doing on Wednesday mornings, that acoustic kind of a thing. So I saw it the other day, and I was like, he played this song we're going to start with. And so thank you, Chris. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, but there was a guy, Scott, I remember Scott. He always said that Chris played it the right way. I could never figure out what he meant because it was my song. But there you go. So he just does a great job. But it inspired me to do this song.
garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness 
Your joy is my strength, O oh Lord, my strength alone. Put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Let the oil of gladness flow down from your throne. Put on the garments of praise For the spirit of heaviness Your joy is my strength, O Lord My strength alone Make these broken, weary bones Make these broken, weary bones Rise to dance again Wet this dry and thirsty land with a river. Lord, our eyes are fixed on you. We are waiting for your garments of praise as we praise your name. Put on the garments of praise For the spirit of heaviness Let the oil of gladness flow down From your throne Put on the garments of praise For the spirit of heaviness Your joy is my strength, O oh Lord, my strength alone. Make these broken, weary bones, make these broken, weary bones rise to dance again. Wet this dry and thirsty land with a river. Lord, I are fixed on you we are waiting for your garments of praise as we praise your name oh yeah holy is the Father, Holy One of Israel.
Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see you To see you high and lifted up Shining in the light of your glory Pour out your power and love As we sing holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy Holy, 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 I want to see you. Holy, 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 I want to see Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you.
this humble prayer and make me holy unto you. Kadosh, Kadosh Lecha. Kadosh, Kadosh Lecha. Hear this humble prayer. Make me Kadosh, Kadosh Lecha. Holy unto you, holy unto you, hear this humble prayer and make me holy unto you. Kadosh, Kadosh Lecha, Kadosh, Kadosh Lecha. Hear this humble prayer, make me kadosh, kadosh leha. Holy unto you, holy unto you. Hear this humble prayer and make me holy unto you. the hem of your robe I need the hem of your robe so as you walk by love hang your robe down low hang your robe down low Son of David, hear my cry. Son of David, hear my cry. I cannot be silent. My Savior's walking by. So I cry, Yeshua.
son of David, hear my cry. Son of David, hear my cry. I cannot be silent. My Savior's walking by. So I cry, Yeshua. Some time of worship.
hear this humble prayer and make me holy unto you. That's my prayer this morning for me. Hopefully it's for each of you too. That God will make you holy. There's a lot to pray for this morning. Tomorrow is Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's a time when we reflect and we remember what took place in Germany and in Poland at the end of during World War II, when millions of Jews and others were taken to the gas chambers. So hopefully, I. I ask that each of you would spend some time tomorrow reflecting on that and praying, praying for the Jewish people. There's still a lot of people, Jewish people in Israel, that are survivors of the Holocaust. They're suffering still, and we need to pray for them. So tomorrow, Holocaust Remembrance Day. We want to pray this morning for Joyce. She's still on the waiting list for a new heart. Not the one that got, not the, not the new heart that God gives us all when we're saved, but you know what I mean. She needs a new physical heart. So we need to pray that God will provide her with a new heart at the right time. We need to continue to pray for Corey. Her surgery is scheduled for the 4th of February. And the last time she had scheduled some surgery there were some complications that came up and she wasn't able to do it so we need to pray that those will not happen that she'll be able to go through the surgery on the 4th of February so be in prayer for Corey and for Mark his knee replacement is scheduled for the 13th of February so we praise God that his new insurance company is picking that up amen but we need to pray for him, pray for the surgeons, pray for, uh, as they do surgery on him on the 13th. Danny still needs to have his knee replacement surgery. And it's on hold because he has a bladder hernia. And so the doctors are trying to decide what to do with that first. So they're going to try to resolve his issues with his bladder first and then schedule his knee surgery. So we need to pray for that, that... Uh, they need to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of and that God will place his hand on Danny and get all that taken care of. And for Verna, her cracked vertebrae in her back are still giving her problems. Uh, doctors really don't have anything that can do for her, so she is trusting the Lord to take care of that. So we need to pray for Verna that God will place his hand upon her back and heal her. Uh, she has a lot of pain, can't sit still, can't still for, sit still or can't sit for long periods of time. So we need to pray for, for them. And you know, we've been praying for Tim and Ann for some time now. Ann is home and under hospice care, the doctors have basically said there's nothing else they can do for her. And so she is just home, basically waiting to go home. Okay, so we need to pray for Ann. 
And for Tim, the doctors did surgery yesterday, I believe it was, and removed some the spots on his lungs. So we need to pray for Tim for recovery uh, for him as, uh, as he's home recovering from that surgery. And the praise, the Riggins had their baby last night or yesterday. So praise God. Uh, we have another, another person here for, uh, for us. But anyway, so pray, pray for, they're doing fine. But continue to pray for her and the baby during this time. And yeah, <laughs> they can sleep. Uh, and remember Estelle, we've been praying for Estelle. She's on her third series of chemo. And so her spirits are still high. The Lord is really ministering to her and, and uh, giving her a good attitude toward all this. So, uh, we just need to continue to pray for Estelle as she goes through this chemotherapy. And some of you may be aware of the fact that uh, Hal and Kim are moving to Texas. Uh, that's not a praise, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But, but anyway, they're going to be moving to, to Texas. So they have put their house up for sale. So we need to pray. I told her the other day I was going to pray that the house doesn't go for sale and she can't move. But that's, that's just me. But, but we need to pray that God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in their lives and that the house will sell at the right time to the right people and that he will provide for them a house down in Texas also at the right time and for their moving and all the other things that are involved on that. And, and in, so in, 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 alongside of that, we need to pray for Lion and Lamb Ministries because when she moves, they're going to have to find somebody who can replace her, and which means they're probably going to have to hire about four or five people to do all the work that she does. So we need to pray for that also. Uh, Patrice, we've been praying for her. She had her surgery and she's been recovering. She's doing well. Uh, she is no longer totally confined to her wheelchair when she gets around and the doctors are allowing her, yes, amen, allowing her to get up and walk around with a cane. So she is progressing well and so we need to continue to pray for her and her recovery. And I didn't get a chance to talk to Amy, but uh, Amy is, with her knee, her physical therapy is progressing well, I understand. And so we need to keep praying for Amy and for that. So we have a lot to pray for this morning. Uh, not only, and we need to praise God because the kids up in Washington finally came together for, and agreed on something temporarily at least. So we need to praise God that those 800,000 federal employees will at least, at least be able to work for the next three weeks and get, get their paycheck and their back pay and, and get some things back in order in their lives. Uh, but we need to continue to pray for them. For the for our government officials, because uh, in three weeks we're going to be we're going to be back in the same boat again, okay? Because they just neither side is willing to give in, and so we just need to pray that uh, God intervenes in that situation and takes care of all that. All right, so uh, let us humbly go before God, and that uh, He will hear our prayers and He will answer them.
holy unto you. Holy unto you. That is my prayer this morning, Lord, that you would make me holy unto you and that you would take each of our lives and do the same, that you would make each of us holy unto you. Thank you that you've given us the privilege to come before you and to share with you the things that you have put on our hearts and to pray for those who we love. Thank you that you have heard each of these prayers. Thank you that you will answer each of these prayers. And we look forward to hearing and seeing how you answer those. We pray for the rest of the service now, Lord. We ask that you would bless it. Not only that it would bless you, that it would be a blessing to each of us. May the words that you've given those who will bring the messages today speak to each of our hearts. And may we leave this place holy unto you. So we commit this time to you and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. If I can have all the children come up. Maybe a lighter crowd than normal, but beautiful all the same. All right, let us bless our children on this Sabbath day. Heavenly Father, we come before you today here as a congregation and a fellowship and a community, Father. Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessings that you have provided for us here in this place. Not only physically at this facility, a place where we can meet, but Father, spiritually as well as you have strengthened our faith and our understanding in you. Father, we thank you for each and every one of these beautiful children, Father. We thank you for the new life that we have in our congregation with the Riggins family, and we thank you for each and every one of these children that are before us. Father, we pray that you pour out a special blessing upon them on this Sabbath day. Father, we pray that you would make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply, cause them to grow and learn of all of your statutes and your commandments. And Father, we thank you for the daughters. May they be as Ruth and as Esther. Make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord. May, your, may kindness and your commandments always be upon their lips. Father, we pour out a blessing upon them on this day. And Father, I also will take this time to please bless the parents and the elders, Lord. Everyone who has an opportunity to speak life into these children, Father, may it always be your words that we speak, your wisdom, your kindness. Give us your thoughts and your emotions. Lead us with your spirit, Lord as we teach and train up these beautiful children of God. So we love you, we bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We pray that you would turn your countenance toward them, make your face shine upon them, Lord, and give them peace. 
We thank you, Lord, for all of these blessings. In Yeshua's name, amen. Children are dismissed to their class. So we have now entered into the third year of HFF. This is our, the starting of the third year with this Shabbat. Uh, kind of hard to believe that. Uh, one of the interesting things, a little fun fact for you, is in three years I have never taught the Torah or the first five at HFF. And so I do a lot of coaching with Daniel and Ephraim, and we, we coach some of the younger guys and stuff like that. We uh, now are helping Ed Harris coach some of the younger guys uh, who are starting to teach the first five at HFF DFW. And one of my pet peeves for anybody who knows me is I don't like hypocrisy. Like, it, it makes me want to go to war really, really quick. And so hypocrisy is one of those things that gets under my skin really, really quickly. And then a couple of weeks ago, I realized that I'm practicing hypocrisy because I'm coaching people on how to pick out a nugget in the Torah and how to go before the Lord to be able to deliver uh, the first five. And yet I have never delived, delivered a first five. So here I am today delivering a first five. And unfortunately... I talk too much. So five minutes is really, really tight. And so you say, well, why are you still talking about something other than the Torah portion? It's because I'm working. I'm a work in progress. Speaking of works in progress, this week is Yitro, Jethro. If, you, uh, if you're from the South, uh, like me, spent eight years in Nashville. There's a lot of Jethros uh, in there. But this is not Jethro Tall. This is Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. He, roughly about seven weeks after the Exodus takes place, he comes, he brings Moses' wife and his two sons to him as they're camping out in the wilderness. And at this point in time, Jethro gives the counsel to Moses. He's heard about all the wonderful things that the Lord has done through the Exodus, through Pharaoh, through everything. And Jethro says, Moses, you need to establish a hierarchy of magistrates, judges, leadership. You can't do it all yourself. Wise words coming from his father-in-law also find it interesting that Moses' father on the earthly realm was Pharaoh. Not his biological father, but his father acting for the majority of his childhood was Pharaoh. His heart, his heart was hardened by the Lord, and then it's his father-in-law. Messianics like to do the father-in-love, mother-in-love, those types of things, who actually brings forth this counsel to him. This is all before the commandments are given at Sinai. Now, why in the world would the Lord come down and say through his father-in-law, well, you have to put a structure together before there's loss? Well, it's just like creation. Before Adam was even created, there was the heavenly hierarchy. God the angels, everybody knew what the hierarchy was. And then, of course, we have the fall of Satan. And we have then the creation of Adam. Then the Lord starts to give the commandments. You cannot eat of that tree. He also gives dominion over things to Adam. The beasts, he is to give the dominion over that. So now we see before the Israelites, which he calls a holy nation, they're his people. Before that can take place, there has to be a hierarchy set up. So the Lord uses one of the wise, influential men to Moses, Jethro, to say, set up a hierarchy. 
We obviously know what happens after that. They go to the base of Sinai. They, the Lord speaks to them. They say, whatever the Lord has said, we shall do. And it's too much for them to bear. And they send Moses up on the mountain themselves. Now, I don't have strobe lights and lightning effects and reverb and reading of the Ten Commandments like Daniel has done in the past. He's much, uh, more, uh, he's much better at that than I am. But I want to focus on the hierarchy. The hierarchy is important. Because you have to have the structure of the leadership before the rules go forth. Why? Because there has to be an authority to put the rules in place. There has to be an authority to hold people accountable by the rules. Now today we run into a situation where we have authority all over the place. Not all of it is the authority that's been granted by God. And that's what we struggle with. But we must be careful because oftentimes in the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement, we hear, the only authority I'm under is Yeshua. This week's Torah portion tells us that the Lord raises up and puts together leadership for the time and the people that he has. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your Torah. We thank you for your words. We thank you for your son, Yeshua. And Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in this time and in this place. Father, we thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for each person in our community that you have allowed us to serve. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to bless us, continue to teach us, continue to humble us, Father, as we continue to seek your face. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen. And I mean, Daniel. He actually did it. I was just about to come up here and say something about the first seven or first eight or something. And then he says, let's pray. <laughs> Good job, Chris. All right, so uh, as Chris alluded to this week's uh, Torah portion, uh, Yitro, uh, and as Chris already alluded to as well, or as we would say here in Oklahoma, Jethro. Um, so uh, there are two key points here that are normally uh, brought up when coming to this Torah portion, and, and Chris basically, he touched on both of them. Um, the one, of course, is when, you know, the story, uh, what happens is that uh, Moshe has brought forth the children of Israel out of, actually Adonai did it, but Moshe was there with them. He walked in front and they followed him, okay? Uh, brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage and their slavery into freedom. And so now his father-in-law, with whom he dwelt for 40 years, Yitro, comes and brings his children to him, okay? And says, because Moshe left for Egypt without his children. And so what ends up happening here is that uh, you know, he, he comes and he speaks to him and he sees Moshe counseling all day long, hearing people's problems and judging between them. And Yitro told him, man, this thing you're doing, it's not a good thing. You, you need to, like, break this up. And so then we have, of course, this whole um, leaders over tens, leaders over fifties, leaders over hundreds, this hierarchy that's established, as Chris alluded to. Uh, and then, of course, from there, once that's established, it moves into, like, the focal point of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, Right? And so ordinarily when talking about, um, you know, this Torah portion, those are one of the two things that we ordinarily will spend our time on. I think there's something that we're overlooking, though. And so we're going to talk about this one today. Uh, you see, when, it, when Yitro comes to Moshe 
and brings his sons. There's something that takes place here in Exodus chapter 18. It's verses 8 through 12. And it says there, Moshe told his father-in-law all that Adonai had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how Adonai had delivered them. Yitro rejoiced over all the goodness which Adonai had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Yitro said, Blessed be Adonai who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Adonai is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Yitro Moshe's father-in-law took a burnt offering and sacrifices for Elohim, and Aharon came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moshe's father-in-law before Elohim. Now this is very important, okay? I think we tend to overlook this, but this is a key moment, because guess what just happened? Yitro, who had previously been referred to as a priest of Midian, converts. He professes with his mouth and believes in his heart and then brings sacrifices as a physical evidence of that conversion. He professes that Adonai is greater than all other gods and submits his life to him. The key here, what what prompted this response from Yitro? Moshe told his father-in-law all that Adonai had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on this journey, and how Adonai had delivered them. That is what happened. Yitro's response, Yitro rejoiced over all the goodness which Adonai had done to Israel, and proclaims, now I know that Adonai is greater than all the gods. What? took place here to prompt Yitro to bring sacrifices to this new king he is declaring over his life. Well, here's the thing. Yitro wasn't convinced by Moshe that Adonai was the sovereign because of Moshe's impressive theological expertise. He wasn't convinced because Moshe was incredibly adept at delivering a persuasive, well-researched, peer-reviewed link to a study. He was convinced because of the testimony of what Adonai had done in Moshe's life and in the lives of the children of Israel. This is why Yitro was moved. Yitro saw the transformation that took place in Moshe. Moshe lived with Yitro for 40 years. But at this point, Moshe was no longer the shell-shocked, stuttering shepherd that Yitro was familiar with. He was now a leader of men. By submitting himself fully to the will of Adonai, Moshe became much more than he had ever been and and much more than Yitro had ever seen. But it was through the spirit of Adonai that this took place. But the pattern that's laid out here, Moshe told his father-in-law, one, all that Adonai had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Two, all the hardship that had befallen them on their journey. And three, how Adonai 
had delivered them. In other words, Moshe told Yitro, one of the greatness of Adonai's power and his ability to overcome. Two of the trials and challenges that they had encountered. And three, how Adonai's great power and ability to overcome delivered them from all of their hardships and challenges and trials. This is the basis for any good testimony. Adonai is great. I am a sinner, lost in my sin, hopeless without a remedy. Yet He, in His infinite grace, in His infinite love, has rescued me from my depravity. He set me free from my bondage and gave me a new life. That's the testimony that Yitro heard because that's what Moshe shared. This is the basis of any good testimony. This is the basis of amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. In other words, something that's coming from him is indescribable and incomparable. It saved a wretch like me. I was lost. This is my difficulty. Yet he found me. I was blind. I couldn't see. And yet he opened my eyes and has allowed me to see. That's the basis of a testimony. That's where we get this moving song that we all respond to. That who of us cannot hear that song and not be moved? Because it's the basis of the gospel. He is great. I am lost. And yet, in his goodness, he has rescued me. Here's the thing. We live in a dying lost, sick world. This week, we've had all kinds of stuff taking place. Some kids who happen to be wearing some red hats get taunted. They start chanting. Some other people get involved, and now they're getting death threats because they dared smile. We see that out of New York, we have the wonderful news that should bring us to our knees. None of this should be surprising. Why are, why are we surprised by it? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Paul calls the God of this world, the adversary, as the one who's in charge of what's taking place here. Why would we be surprised by this going on? Why would, be, why would we be surprised by depravity and evil in our world? We're told all throughout Scripture this is what's going to happen. But here's the thing. We have become an outraged society. Our reaction is outrage over these things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about these things. Is it absolutely deplorable that there is now a law that children can be aborted even up to minutes before birth? Yes, it's 
tragic. My heart breaks. But I believe we have fallen into a pattern where we're following the world. And what I mean by that is we are becoming outraged just like they are. You see, I posted a, a, a story this week from the Babylon Bee, which is a satire site. And they, um, it's funny how satire often mimics real life so closely. But the point of this was that um, outrage has uh, supplanted baseball as the new national pastime. And that it, the story was about how, um, you know, like in Little League Baseball and Major League Baseball, they're trying to come up with new rules to make their game more exciting so they can compete with outrage. Um, there was a video that was posted this week as well about people, you know, they were wearing, of course, the Make America Great Again hats, and they were confronted by a young woman who, in her telling them how offensive that this hat was, she makes the statement that they need to pay attention to emotions and not logic. And that how emotions are closest to the spiritual and how logic is just facts. Now here's the thing. We would, you know, most of us here would refer to someone who says something like this as we would call them a snowflake, right? Why? Because snowflakes melt, right, under heat. Here's the problem. Are we being hypocritical? Because what I have seen this week, we are all snowflakes. Oh, these kids, they're, they're, being, they're being persecuted. Oh, the abortion in New York. Oh, the whole world's coming to an end. How are we behaving any different than them? We're responding with emotion and not logic. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak out about these things. Don't misunderstand me. Clearly, these are ills in our society. And clearly, we are to stand for righteousness. But at the same time, have we fallen under the same trap of being outraged by everything that happens and responding in like fashion and then being hypocritical by calling them snowflakes? Because it appears to me that we're doing the same thing. Many of us are addicts. We spend countless hours of our week searching websites and scrolling on social media for things to be outraged by so that we can voice our opinions loudly on the topic, publicly and repeatedly, so that everyone knows where we stand. And then we eagerly wait the likes and the comments so that we can feel fulfilled, because likes and comments mean that we're important, right? So it justifies my outrage that all my friends, who think the exact same way I do, like my comment. And if anyone dares argue with me, I'm going to unfriend them. This just makes us more sophisticated snowflakes. Now here's the thing. I fail to see any record in the Gospels of Yeshua ranting on about how the Israelites' freedoms were being infringed upon by the Roman Empire. In fact, I can't find any record in the Gospels anywhere of him really saying anything about the oppressive, paganistic, secular government that ruled over them. And yet it was there. Now, I'm not saying we should be silent about the evil that surrounds us. I'm preaching more to myself than I am to anyone here. 
In the last six months, I've made a concerted effort. It's a struggle for me. Because I'm just a sophisticated snowflake. I want to react to these things. But in the last six months, I have cut back considerably on those things of a political nature in particular that I'm sharing. And there's a reason. It's not effective. I believe we've become obsessed with this. Instead, we should be obsessed with Messiah and what he was obsessed with. Not with the society that surrounds us, but with what he dealt with. Now, Romans 10.4 has this controversial statement for us. It says, For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And we know that Mainstream Christianity has used this as one of their uh, justifications for saying that the, the Torah is done away with, right? Because Messiah is the end of the law. Of course, we know that this Greek word, where it uses this word end, is this word telos, okay? This word actually doesn't really render very well as end. It's more a goal, an aim, or a purpose. Therefore, Messiah is the goal of the Torah. He's the aim of the Torah. He's the purpose of the Torah. Now, to give you another example, the same word is used in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, of course, is that chapter in which Yeshua says, these are all the signs of the end of the age. Everything's coming. Right? What's the word end that he uses? It says in verses 13 and 14, but the one who endures to the telos, to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the telos, the end, will come. Here's the thing. Um, If you keep reading, after all these signs take place in Matthew chapter 24, and this telos, this end, comes, then there's another thousand years, and then beyond that, there's eternity. How is that the end? You see, but it is the goal toward which we are striving. We're looking for that time when things will change. And in the same fashion, Yeshua was that change to the Torah. Not that it was done away with, but that it becomes even more. Just as he gave us the examples, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And he puts even harder stringencies on us. But then he teaches us how to walk it out. Now, here's the thing. I don't ever recall in the gospel, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't ever see Yeshua walking into a synagogue and rebuking all the congregants. Yet, isn't that what we do to the average Christian who dares disagree with our theological view? On the few occasions where Yeshua did openly rebuke people is generally the spiritual authorities, the ones responsible for misleading the common people, not the common folks themselves that he's rebuking. Instead, the majority of the time, he addressed the common people with compassion and with tenderness because he knew they were ignorant 
And that's not a derogatory statement. They simply didn't know. Paul states in Romans chapter 2, verses 4, that it is the kindness of Elohim that leads us to repentance. It's not his superior argumentation that leads us to repentance. It's not his impressive grasp of the various nuances of the law that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Paul also states in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of Elohim. For I determined to know nothing among you except Yeshua HaMashiach and Him crucified. This is the testimony of Elohim. Because the crucifixion is about that moment at which when in His great power, when we were lost, He saved us. Now can we make the same claim as Paul? Are we consumed with proclaiming the testimony of Elohim and knowing nothing except Yeshua? Or are we instead consumed with proving that we are more correct than those who disagree with our political or theological views? Talking to myself. We tend to be very quick to talk about how we, as Torah keepers, will not only enter the kingdom, but we will be richly rewarded in that kingdom due to our faithfulness in keeping His Torah. While there's some truth to that, that is not the whole story. You see, the adversary, the ruler of this world, according to Paul, is roaming about like a lion, right? We need to recognize also that according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against other people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, our struggle is not with other people. It goes way beyond that. If we can honestly acknowledge this, then we should recognize that our battle is not with the common people who are part of this world system that's controlled by the God of this world. Instead, our efforts to combat evil should be placed squarely upon the shoulders of the one who's causing that havoc. Like Messiah, when we encounter the common people who are swayed by the adversary, we should speak to them with compassion and tenderness. For they are operating out of ignorance. The problem is, most of us, myself included, we typically will speak to them as if they are the adversary. Simply not true. By the way, the ones who were yelling at, they'll only hear our message if it's delivered with that type of compassion and tenderness that Messiah delivered it in. They'll reject our message if we deliver it in anger. It simply feeds their perception that we are hate mongers and intolerant, right? Because that's the argument that's used. But we are given a path of success by the Apostle John. 
He communicates to us exactly how we will overcome the adversary in Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, where it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, just like what Chris was talking about. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our Elohim and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our Elohim day and night. And they overcame him because they argued with him better than others. They overcame him because they had the right views. They overcame him because they had the most information and research. No, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Man, I got to admit, a lot, an awful lot of the uh, argumentation that I do comes from loving my own life. Loving where I am in this country and the freedoms I have in this country, etc., etc., I got to tell you, those are important. But in the eternal scope of things, it means nothing. Which one am I focused on? This world or the one to come? They overcame the blood by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So in other words, we will be likewise victorious over the adversary by one telling of the greatness of Adonai's power and his ability to overcome. Two, describing the trials and challenges that we have encountered. And three, detailing how Adonai's great power and his ability to overcome delivered us from those trials and challenges by sharing our testimony. It's far more effective than any political or theological statement that we might make. And guess what? Chances are pretty good you won't share your testimony in anger. But you'll share it in compassion and tenderness. 1 John 5.11, the Apostle John had this to say about our testimony. And the testimony is this. The Elohim has given His eternal life and this life is in His Son. And a story. That's our testimony. So when we are delivered by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony, it is that life is in Him. Life is not in a political system or a political party. Life is not in a government. Life is not in a country. Life is not in what I believe. Life is not in what I think is right. Life is in Him. In the presence of all these scriptural witnesses, shouldn't we be motivated to share this testimony? That life is in Him? After all, if we recognize that it's by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony that we overcome the accuser of the brethren and that our fight is with Him and not with flesh and blood, then shouldn't we be focused on sharing our testimony instead of arguing about the various fine points of our political perspective or whatever topic outrage culture wants to focus on tomorrow? After all, it's one big distraction getting us to take our eyes off of the real battle. So let's check our egos and our misplaced passions 
And instead, focus on overcoming the powers of this world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Let's attain the victory over the adversary by one, telling of the greatness of Adonai's power and his ability to overcome. Two, describing our trials and challenges. And three, detailing how Adonai's great power and his ability to overcome delivered us from all of our bondage and set us free to become new creations in him. Let's aim to walk the same way as the Messiah walked. He is, after all, the goal of the Torah. If we say that we're pursuing Torah, keeping Torah, following Torah, then it should be because we are pursuing Him, keeping Him, following Him. And by pursuing the one who is the goal of the Torah, we will overcome the world by His blood and by the word of our testimony. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive me for those times when I have become so wrapped up in being right that I failed to be right. Father, you know the situation that we're dealing with. You know the the country we live in. You know the depravity that's here. You know how far we have strayed from the principles not only that our country was founded upon, but upon the words that you have given us that those principles were founded upon. Father, you know that the blood of these children screams out from the ground and that we are by association guilty. Forgive us. Our nation needs you. But more than that, Father, we repent of looking at that instead of looking to you. Help us in our weakness not to be distracted by all the things that are going on around us. For we know that you have turned over this world for the time being to the one who's seeking to devour us. May we stand righteous, but may we do so in such a way that we are expressing compassion and tenderness to those around us, that they might be led to repentance because of your kindness, that we might follow in the words of Paul, and it would not be the eloquence of speech, but instead it would be your spirit that woos them. And may they see that spirit within us in the same way that Yitro saw this spirit in Moshe and he was moved to confess that you are the greatest of all gods. May our lives be like Moshe's. May we tell of the testimony of what you have done on our behalf, and may people be moved to pursue you and to sacrifice before you. Father, we can only achieve this if by your Spirit you help us. For I confess to you, Father, without your Spirit I will fall into the same fleshly traits and habits. 
So we ask, Father, for a special measure of your grace, that amazing grace that you've poured out upon us to help us to remain focused on you at all times and not upon the problems of this world. For you are greater than any problem. You are greater than any challenge. You are greater than anything we see around us. So may we maintain our focus on you and may we walk in the pattern that you displayed for us. We thank you, Father. We surrender our lives to you and we pray this in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. Amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke into Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.